Like when you come up with an idea and you think this is funny and it doesn't work right and then you keep kind of polishing it and honing it. It's like when um, when swords are made, you know? Mm. They're like, you know, they get it all hot and then they bang it out on the anvil and then they stick it in the water and then they bang it out some more and then they stick it in the fire and get it red again. I mean, you know, to make a really strong sword, you gotta you got to bang it out on the anvil. You hear all the bull about marketing every day. Make your money in your sleep. My new offer is crushing it. My guru could beat up your guru. It's time to go right to the source and get the truth about marketing. With your host, the founder of CopyChief.com, Kevin Rogers. Hey, welcome to The Truth About Marketing. It's Kevin Rogers here, and a special episode today. Not a marketer uh, talking about a case study, what uh, moved the needle on their offers, but my longtime friend, Tom Rhodes, comedian, uh, 30-year stand-up comedian. This man has the thickest passport I've ever seen in my life, Uh, and Tom, you were one of the first people to ever influence me in comedy, and you've never let up for a day. You are a lifer. I remember I told you to go take the gig in Savannah. And you remember that? <laughs> you were you and Bennington were like, you have to go. So thanks for being here, brother. I really appreciate you being oh, on. Man, I love you to death. This is going to be great because most of the listeners, or some may not know that I spent a decade touring the U.S. as a stand-up comedian. And um, for me, it was, um, uh, I made a conscious decision that I was really fearful of becoming an old, bitter comic. You know those guys we would work with when we were young? Yeah, young that's the, big, the greatest fear, and I think is the hardest thing to watch, is a bitter comedian and yeah. someone who's not enjoying it. And, you know, you always had, uh, your act always contained the original energy of joy. You know, even when you were beginning and... Um, and, and you know your, your time you spent in Chicago people you left an indelible mark there people still they know we're friends and they still ask me about you oh how's Kevin have you seen Kevin and what's going on with oh, him that's cool. you know I mean you still have a lot of fans and friends for life that you made there from the period that you spent there oh that's great man it's nice to hear well you know what I've always admired about you as, a, as, as an artist Tom is that you never lost that passion even for a second and, you know, you've been through some very interesting twists and turns in your career. Um, yeah, and that's the toughest thing, you know, about being, a, and, and I've always had that fear also of being a, a, a bitter, angry comedian, because it's not my nature. But yeah. then things happen in your life, you know, um, my father was killed by a drunk driver. It, you know, it was months after the accident, but, you know, he, it was his, he, was, he was in the hospital for like three months, and then... But, you know, he was an older man. Anyway, the, um, uh, I, I had some anger over that. And then my sister, when she died of breast cancer, man, I, there was a couple years where it was really hard to be funny. And, uh, and, and I had a lot of anger. And, um, you know, I, thank God for being on stage because I could, like, kind of take my brain and put it on a shelf mm-hmm. and, like, go, uh, you know, just to, to have this, this kind of fun time. But yep. it, it, it was, um, I mean, and then you have tragedy strike your life and then you look back on your life and you realize that like times you were like sad and heartbroken over a relationship is like comical, <laughs> you know, right. and I, and people when they're young, you don't realize that you just think, oh my God. And I'm so like, 
you know, my heart hurts and I'm sad, but, you know, it's, um, uh, th- that stuff is just, um, right. you know, a pimple. Yeah, well, that's interesting because you say the, you know, one hour you'd have on stage would sort of be your respite of everything you were going through, right? But yeah, yeah, the people would say, I don't know how you can go on stage, like friends of mine, Yeah, you know, and, and I, I would, my reaction was, you know, thank God for it. Thank God I have this. And I... I, if I didn't have comedy, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what I would have done. And I don't know what normal people do in their life right. who don't have comedy. Yeah, people say comedy is like therapy, and I always say, yeah, for the comic. Yeah. <laughs> That's, you know. Uh, but would you bring any of those issues and that that hurt in the, on the stage with you and discuss any of that stuff? Or was it like no. the last thing you wanted to be speaking No, and about? I still haven't worked it out. It's yeah. It's none of it's funny to me. Yeah. You know. Do you love that our friend Lou is in the next room clipping his toenails? Yeah, and, and I know that's such, that such a good microphone. You can pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I, uh, this brand of microphone I love for the... I do my podcast all over the world. And, like, you did it in Rome. And you could hear, like, you know, uh, Italian scooters on the street outside. And I love I've that. done them in Asia. And you can hear, like, you know, Asian rain and different things. They're, they're really great microphones. Yeah. So. So, so the nail clipping will definitely be in there. <laughs> <laughs> Famous Lou Angel. You know what? I should I should send those as gifts. If somebody leaves me a good review on iTunes, I'll send you one of Lou's toenail clippings. <laughs> um, uh, so many things we could talk about, Tom. But I wanna. I thought it would be interesting for me to stay within the premise of this show. And the one thing I want to get from my guests, my, my theory is that if somebody's worthy of being on the show, then they've answered the, so how'd you get into this wacky business question a thousand times? And my listeners probably don't need to hear that again, or they can find it somewhere else. I want to give them something that they can really uh, take away and be inspired by to maybe try or attempt in their marketing or their artistry. And so I'll pose the question to you. uh, What is the one thing you've done in your business that has produced the most surprising results? Well, I, I think the you know, one of the la- most lasting things was making CDs on my own. And um, now they're played on uh, Sirius, the comedy channels. But I mean, I made them on my, on my own because I grew up listening to comedy records and uh, it was just my dream to make comedy recordings. Um, but uh, so those were helpful in the long run. Um, you know, I've, I've made a lot of YouTube videos, mm-hmm. comedy ones, and uh, and I made a lot of travel uh, YouTube clips from traveling the world and like high end, well produced. Yeah, stuff. I put a lot of yeah. money into mm-hmm. it, and yeah. it doesn't make any money. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I, I don't put commercials on it because it's only pennies. Right. That you get even for like a million views, so you get, like, your, you get your, like twenty, thirty bucks. Yeah. Why slow somebody down to sit through a thirty-second car ad right. for two minutes? So, I, you know, you put all this money and effort into it, and then hiring an editor and making them look slick. And I didn't think that had much of an impact. But um, last week I was in Cincinnati, and this woman on the Saturday night. Was, was sat in the at the front table by herself and watched both shows. Wow. She listens to my podcast and then she had she'd watched like tons of my videos and to have a like a 
a super fan like that, um, I haven't seen in, in a few years. But and then I, you, you talk to somebody after the show, and they want to take a picture, and and then you realize, wow, it, you know, I it, I did touch this person. Yeah. Uh, even if it is one person with the thousands, <laughs> the thousands of. Well, dollars. that's the thing is, you, I think you realize how deeply you touch somebody like that. You are part of her life. You're so well, much. That's she why thinks I made it, and it's like whenever I, you know, I remember I, I made my first website in two thousand, and the whole. You know, I haven't been able to to make money out of. Uh, I, I always say I'm the free, I'm the king of free content. Um, you know, when I when I made my first website, the whole idea I thought was I want to entertain the living shit out of somebody who wants to kill an hour at work. Hmm. So I had writings on there and all this different stuff, and so you know, my website. Um, you know, you can click to my videos yeah. and TomRhodes.net. Yeah, and um, Elvis around the world still one of my favorites. You took an Elvis doll, and you have traveled. I mean, more than probably most humans could ever imagine. You've been everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, and that was a silly idea I had years ago. I had this Elvis doll, and I took its picture all over the world. And that was before the movie Amelie <laughs> when I was doing that. Um, but the, I think that the the, the thing, uh, and I don't look at it in a marketing way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're the only person I know who's involved in, in that kind of world. Which, again, uh, I, I didn't do it in a marketing way. I just did it as a, as a, a passion, uh, just to make art. I just, I just want to make art and jokes. and, and follow your instincts. I think that's all we have to leave after we die, mm-hmm. is the art that we made in our life. You know, be it children or a painting or a podcast. And so the thing that's had the biggest impact has been my podcast. And, um, and, and, and friends of mine podcasts that I've been a guest on. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Marin. Mark Marin, uh, Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. Last year, I was at the Soho Theater in London. And I've been playing in London for 20 years. But I had always just played comedy clubs. Like the Comedy Store is probably the best comedy club in Europe. Uh, and this was my first time, and it's a really nice theater. And you've got to be um, really great to play there. You know, there it's 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 creme de la creme, and it's in you know the Soho Theatre District of London. Mm. So it was my first time playing in London, where it's my name on the bill on the on the marquee, and I'm doing a solo hour show. And so I was nervous that oh my god, you know, I hope this isn't place isn't going to be totally empty. And uh, I had a I had a I had a it was Valentine's weekend 2014, and I had such a great run. And such great numbers, they invited me back six months later. Wow. And to play the Soho Theater twice in one year is is quite an accomplishment. Wow. And I, I talked to people after the show. You know, I've, I've never, you know, thought I was Mr. Fancy Pants. I love, and that's why I do comedy. I like talking to people. Yeah. And so I'm talking to people after the show, and they listen to my podcast. Mm. Uh, I mean, uh, I, w- I would say, you know, uh, probably... 10 of the 30 people I spoke to. And, and they said, oh, and I, I first heard you on Joe Rogan's podcast, and then that led me to your podcast. And, uh, and then people, it's not like when they see you doing a, a, a stand-up clip. I mean, that's why you want them to be your fan, because they like your comedy. But then when they listen to your podcast uh, or other podcasts that you've been on, they know more about you. Yeah. You know, like people knew personal details yeah. about me, which also can be kind of weird. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh man, it's almost like 
they've read your diary kind of feeling. Because that's but, what a podcast is. It's not just a, it's not like when we do radio to promote Yuck Yucks that weekend. Right. you got to be funny within a, a, a 10 minute break. This is a conversation you have. Yeah. That's what's cool about podcasting. And I've had so many conversations with, with, with friends of mine and comedians all over the world uh, that a lot of personal things about yeah, myself. Like Mark Maron takes everybody, every guest places, including President Obama, yeah. places they didn't expect to probably go when they sat down. Uh, so that's very cool. Now, let's talk about it. I'm glad, I'm glad it ended up being your podcast because uh, I love your podcast. And you've had... You know what I love about your podcast and what, to me, what makes it so unique? Uh, well, one, it's you, so it's unique. But you've always had this magic ability to end up uh, with people, sort of hanging out with people, and this is not something you brag about or talk about or you don't post pictures up on Facebook about it. But I know you intimately, so I know these things happen. But uh, Wozniak, I mean, what, what, how many people are landing uh, a Wozniak interview on their podcast? So things like that is a reflection of your actual life. Because it just so happens that like you do touch people when they see your show. Because you're really a no-bullshit kind of comic. You're very direct. You're also very funny. But you know, if people get Tom Rhodes... It's almost like they're instantly in a special club. So it's more intimate than just liking Dane Cook or some hack, you know? <laughs> Can I say that? Dane Cook hack. But uh, so tell me about, you know, the Waz interview and, uh, and, and other things that, you know, how has the podcast opened up new ways to communicate with people that you didn't have before, maybe? Well, you know, you got a guy like Steve Wozniak, and number one, he likes ground floor ventures, you know, mm. he's a guy who, uh, his entire life is inventing new ways of doing things, Right. you know, so, um, I don't know how many podcasts he's been on, but he's a huge fan of comedy mm. and he came to my show in Lake Tahoe. I was at the improv at Harvey's casino, very nice, um, room. And he was there last December and I met him after the show, and I'm talking to him, and he's a great guy. And uh, I was going to be in San Francisco the next month. And so we're hanging out, and we're talking, and he's in no hurry to leave. Mm. And uh, finally, I, 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 I mustered the courage, and I, I said, you know, um, I don't know if you'd be interested, but I'm going to be in San Francisco next month, and I have a podcast, and I, I'd love to record a chat with you. And he was like, oh, my God, of course. And wow. he gave me his card, and his card is so cool, man. It's like this titanium uh, card, and, he, and he, he, he said he had these kind of cards made after September 11th. They took away um, real silverware. I guess in first class, they give you real okay. knives and forks. And he said, I had these cards made so I could cut my steaks. <laughs> and so I've got this card and like you can you can cut things with it. But it's the whole reason. So, like, so like I mean that's the the inventive mind of a of a creator. Right, right. You know? And solutions, yeah. Uh, and 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 I, I did this um, I went down to Cupertino and then uh, he wanted me to meet him at this Chinese restaurant. And he shows up with his wife and his wife's parents and another older couple that was the friends. So we're sitting at this big, one of those 
massive like in a Chinese restaurant there'll always be that one table in the back that's like a big round table that seats like 10 people so we're sitting there and I didn't think I was going to have an audience I thought I'm you know intimate one on one right so we actually recorded that where he and I are talking and these these um, all these other people are sitting there listening and watching (laughs) that's great I I love that that you asked you mentioned in the intro to the interview that you'd ask the owner could he maybe turn down the music yeah and he refused yeah he said hey I'm running a restaurant here this is how it sounds and yeah but I'm talking to Steve Wozniak <laughs> and uh, you know the guy uh, you know Steve Jobs was the marketer yeah right. Wozniak was the inventor, inventor yeah. you know he invented the the machines that transformed my life and everyone else's I mean you know look how easy it is to do a podcast look how yeah. easy it is to to, to edit and post videos and 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 everything it's like such a golden age to be a comedian but also to be anybody because you can do things on your own and you don't you know it used to be if you wanted a radio show you had to you know deal with a radio station and their executives you wanted to make a television show you had to deal with networks right and so and I and I, I've thought that for years that you know eventually and we're, we're getting there um, faster and faster every day that, that your, your, your website will be your television network yeah. radio station. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm working towards that. It was funny. I saw um, some people had tweeted something that Steve Wozniak said, in the future, we're going to be the pets of robots. Mm. And he said that on my podcast uh, in January. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, damn, I, that was the, 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 the sentence I should have marketed that you know <laughs> right <laughs> that sentence with because it was news oh, that he had really. said that in an interview and I was right. like oh he said that on my podcast six months ago <laughs> I had that scoop yeah. but another another massive um, and and you know is the fact that I, I that Steve Wozniak loves comedy and he he, he really liked my show um, you know that is pretty much how that made that happen and then Another thing is, uh, I was in New Zealand two years ago, and I got to interview Kim.com, who started MegaUpload.com, where all these movie files were traded, and he's on the FBI's most wanted list. Wow. He can't leave New Zealand. Um, and, and, and that was another... That was also helpful when I got Steve Wozniak, because Steve Wozniak is friends with Kim.com, hmm. and one of his great defenders... And Wozniak says, you know, like the, and, and Kim.com lays it out. He thinks it's the Obama administration is persecuting him because Hollywood gave him a lot of money mm-hmm. for his campaigns and that it was Hollywood that didn't get the, you know, $7.50 for Sister Act 2 or whatever was traded and certain money wasn't in pockets and stuff. So um, Kim.com was a huge comedy fan. So I was on like the NPR of New Zealand. I was doing the New Zealand Comedy Festival. And the woman asked me, what's the one thing you want to do while you're in New Zealand? And I said, I know it sounds silly, but I'd like to interview Kim.com. I think he's demonized in the American media and Western media. And I, I think he was basically manipulating the tools of the Internet when it first came on. And, you know, he, he, they kind of made these rules based on what he did hmm. and things changed and he complied and whatever I, I, I said something very thoughtful about the guy and I said I think he's a really uh, interesting guy 
And so an hour later, he followed me on Twitter. Hmm. And then I followed him back. And then we started direct messaging. And then the next thing you know, I get invited to his mansion compound. Wow. And like, he doesn't do many interviews. He's a, he's a, he's a difficult guy. So when I met Steve Wozniak, I was saying, hey, I, 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 I did an episode of my podcast with Kim.com and blah, blah, blah. And so his eyes light up. Hmm. And, um, and those were, I thought... Two really impressive guests to have on a podcast until Mark Maron had the president. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's still shocked by that. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, and, and I've done, you know, comedians around the world and yeah. um, um, my podcast, I thought, I meet so many interesting people in my travels. Yeah. And, I, and I've known so many comedians in all these different countries for years that that would be the angle yeah. of it. But I mean, that's the thing on your podcast. You can do anything. <laughs> I just did a, a book review a couple months ago of this Dillinger biography that I read. And uh, I, I liked it. I think I'm going to do a few more of those. Yeah. People like that a lot because everybody's stressed for time. And, you know, if they have or have not read the book, if they have read it, they're interested to hear your take because they like the way you think. And if they haven't read it, it's a good, should I bother? Yeah, and I, and I just did a special 4th of July one. I was so moved by... I, I thought that was a pretty heavy week in American history where, um, you know, health care was ratified and then gay marriage and, and then that, that, that shooting in Charleston just absolutely shook me to my core and then those the, the reaction of forgiveness yeah. from the people, um, you know, the, the loved ones and family and stuff. So... Um, so I, 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 I talked with um, uh, three people for my special Fourth of July episode. Scott Capurro, this uh, this iconic gay comedian. I think he's the Jackie Robinson of of gay comedians mm. because he broke into the straight clubs. Mm. When I moved to San Francisco in 91, mm-hmm. there was a gay club in the Castro where they played. Mm. And then the other clubs were the straight clubs. Wow. So I talked with him about gay marriage. Uh, my friend Gilbert King who uh, won the Pulitzer Prize two years ago. Uh, next week's episode is with, with... I did a full episode with him. But I did one with him about... Because uh, his books uh, uh, deal with um, kind of civil rights issues. Yeah. So we talked about civil rights things. And then to get the right-wing Republican um, angle, I interviewed my brother. Mm. So, uh, so, you know, you can do anything you want now. Right. So, yeah, what you thought it would be when you started out, it sort of takes on a life of its own. Yeah, when it started, I thought, oh, I'll just be drinking. I'll just drink yeah. with some friends of mine and talk. Right. And, we'll, you know, it be cool. That'll be my thing. We'll be drinking. Now I haven't drank in a year and a half. Yeah, congratulations on that. Yeah, thanks. Um, so let's I'm a lot less argumentative <laughs> since I stopped drinking. And your skin looks great. Thanks, bud. <laughs> um, I want to talk for a minute about the, 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 the culture of comedy because... Um, I probably take it for granted a little bit because I've been fortunate enough to be around it for a long time and have relationships with comics who I started with back in 1987 that that still go on today. And uh, but I am able to appreciate more and more the longer I'm sort of away from the heart of it, how special it is. Uh, Billy was in town last week and we went down to Coconuts after his show, 
and you know all these comics were there uh, Danny Bevins and Steve Eric and you know these guys that I haven't seen in that context in a long time and you know what I loved about it Tom was at one point I kind of look around and there's these pockets of dudes hanging out uh, and just laughter little bursts of laughter ah 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 and you look over here and somebody's acting out a bit and everybody's waiting for the punchline and then the and then, you know, it's just like, that's not everyday life for most people. Right. Right. And, but, but, but comedians, we live there. Right. Well, remember my, I'm sorry to cut you off. Yeah. My, my, my uncle who used to deliver packages for Federal Express years ago told me, just remember, Tom, when I go into a, a bank or an office to deliver a package, nobody claps. <laughs> There's no applause. You're making bitches like about a comedian, it. you know, you start your job to applaud. Right. Would you please welcome yeah, that's Kevin right. Rogers. That's right. You know? Clocking in. Yeah. So but what I'm interested in is, so you've been to just about every continent. You've performed on every continent except... Except Africa and Antarctica. Okay. Incredible. And so you're a citizen of the world, literally. I mean, you... are going to make a comedy igloo one day. (laughs) (laughs) Is it this... How different is it in different places? Um, Structurally, you know, how they structure the shows and mostly sort of mindset. Are comics, comics everywhere? Is it that same, you know, twist of logic in their thinking that gets them onto the stage no matter what their world looks like? Or is yeah, it, more yeah. or less. You know, and what's really been exciting is, you know, I've been going to Asia for 15 years and in the last 10 years, there's comedy scenes all over Asia now. And you got places like Kuala Lumpur, which I love very much. Um, you got, because it's a Muslim country, you got, but it was formerly an English colony, so they all speak English. Hmm. So, but their populace is Malay Muslims, Indian Hindus, and then Chinese, Christian, Buddhist, whatever. So that's the ethnic makeup of their comedy scene. So, and these guys are like ruthless, making fun of each other's like religions and ethnicities. Um, you think that they would be more, you know, politically correct or whatever. But, um, you know, my wife is of Indian descent mm-hmm. and I've got uh, a, a, a couple of Hindu jokes that I've written that in the United States gets absolute silence. I do them in Malaysia and the, the place goes wild mm. because they know they know certain elements of, 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 of Hindu. You know? Right, right. And, um, so the, I mean, there's, so there's things like that. There's different, like my favorite kind of audiences are multi-ethnic, multinational yeah. and kind of well-informed. Yeah. So that's why I love playing in London, San Francisco, Chicago, New York, Hong Kong, Sydney. Yeah. Those are my favorite places. Amsterdam is always, but Amsterdam, you know, their first language is Dutch. So, uh, but you got, it's like, I always describe Amsterdam as like a, uh, New York City, if it was a village, because yeah. you got people from all over the world, but it's just like really kind mm. of a village scale. When you play somewhere like China, are you only playing to expats or you know people who are there on a working thing? For you know, is it all American audiences or no? Uh, you've got expatriates of every flavor. Mm-hmm. You know, you you got. I mean, we really won the lottery when it comes to the language because mm-hmm. the international. Language of business is English mm-hmm. for the internet. So uh, anybody who's anywhere in you know China or different parts of the world, they 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 usually speak English because that's the the, the, the you know the money language. <laughs> and uh, so, so you got 
English, Irish, American, Australian, Canadian, all these different uh, English-speaking expatriates that are there. But then the, the Chinese people that are there were usually educated in other countries. Hmm. In Australia, Ireland, America, Canada, blah dee blah dee blah Or they grew up in those countries. And so it's funny, you know, you'll, meet a, you'll be in China and you meet a guy and he's got an, he speaks English with an Australian accent or an English accent or a Canadian accent because that's where they grew up. Uh, and then the, the, then the Chinese people that were sent to university in these different countries um, speak English and or are huge comedy lovers. I was in Beijing two months ago and it's a great gig there called The Bookworm. And it's a bookstore with a bar in the middle of it. It seats 100 people. And I love the way they promote it is uh, Tom Rhodes in the humor section. <laughs> and um, the, there was, a, I would say, 20 of those 100 people in Beijing were, pe- were Chinese people that were working on their English. Mm. And they thought this would... Ah. Like there was a girl sitting in the front row and by her blank face I could tell... She wasn't grasping everything I said, but that's that, that's a rarity. But is it only normally a- it's normally uh, you know so you so you're there with expatriates, but half the audience is right. Chinese and they have a excellent grasp of English. They do, and also sarcasm and more subtle things come across the. Uh, the, um, the I had a, I had this this Chinese girl ask me about the the meaning of an expression that I used. After the show, and I thought that was really cool. Yeah. She didn't want to walk away, hmm. not, not knowing what this thing, what I meant by this, what I implied by this one sentence. Wow, that's great. You remember what it was? Uh, yeah. Um, I, I I'll have to tell you later. Okay, sorry. <laughs> All right. Um, Last thing I'll ask you, and thanks for doing this, bro. I really appreciate I it. I love you to death, bro. We don't I, get... I, would, I would mow your lawn if you asked me to. <laughs> That's that would be fun to watch you mow my lawn. I'll be standing, if, in, the, I'll be standing in the window. And if my podcast too. doesn't get more listeners soon, I just might have to. <laughs> uh, let's just talk a minute about joke writing. You know, this is something that, you know, as a guy who's stayed on the road for, is it 30 years? Is it my, my I started in 1984, and I uh, I was in 11th grade. I graduated high school in 85 in June, and I went on the road, I think, one month later. So wow. July or August of 85, I went on the road. So yeah, it's been 30 years. Incredible. I've been a working comedian. That's incredible. Um, it's, you know... Yeah, wow, it's July right now. It's, yeah, you're there. 30 years. 30 years, congratulations. Incredible. Um, I don't... People wonder, like, how does it work? You know, first of all, a lot of people don't even realize that, a, you know, a stand-up comic has to write their own material. Yeah. Uh, and it's difficult for a few reasons. And it's also stressful because it takes a long time to hone a joke. And once you sort of get it and it's there, it's a reliable thing. It's a, it's a silver bullet in your in your holster. And, but... I call that banging it out on the anvil. Like when you come up with an idea and you think this is funny and then it doesn't work right and then you keep kind of polishing it and honing it. It's like when um, when swords are made, you know? Mm-hmm. They're like, you know, they get it all hot and then they bang it out on the anvil and then they stick it in the water and then they bang it out some more and then they stick it in the fire and get it red again. 
I mean, you know, to make a really strong sword, you gotta you gotta bang it out on the anvil. Love it, love it. So, you know, what is? Do you have a process? You know, that people famously know about Jerry Seinfeld saying. I'm going to write a joke a day, and I'm going to X, put an X on the calendar. I'm never going to break this chain. And some jokes he's been working on seven years, and other times he'll write five in a day that all work. Um, you, you have a structure like that? or Well, you know, uh, uh, I've never been able to, like, okay, I'm going to sit down at 3 o'clock and write some jokes. That's never been my style. Mm-hmm. For me, my best ideas have always come out by having intelligent conversations with intelligent people. And then, you know, you consciously make notes. I always keep notebooks on me. Yeah. I like pen and paper. I've been mm-hmm. a big pen and paper guy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you say something funny or you say you have a funny opinion about something. And then you just, just remember it. Just excuse yourself from the table mm. and go to the next room and make a note. Yeah. Or, or, or I don't care. I'll pull out my notebook right in front of people and, and do it. Um, so I've always done that. And... and it's, it's the oldest form of joke writing, which I just started experimenting with a few years ago, is freeform writing. Hmm. Um, Christopher Titus, hmm. who I think is doing brilliant work, I did this comedy festival with him in Aspen in February, and I was asking him about his, his joke writing. And he said he sits down every day and writes for an hour. He said, when you, and you, whatever it is, you just sit at the thing, and any thought you have comes to your mind just... Type it on the computer, which I've never been a computer writer. I've always been a pen and paper guy. So, um, and then whatever it is, you know, good or bad, and it's just, you know, no one's going to see this. And he said, always at the 45-minute mark, that's when the good shit starts to come. Hmm. And he goes, and I usually end up writing for longer than an hour. You'll have pauses where you sit there and just just empty your brain and just kind of go into this meditative state. And then put your fingers back on the keyboard and banging it out. So I've only done that, I think, like 10 times, but I've enjoyed it. I'm going to try and do that more. Um, you know, uh, we live in a much more accelerated world now. And, and I think there's greater comedians than there ever was now. You know, in the 80s, comedy boom, it was a lot of suburban white guy, straight male thing. Yeah. Now there's, you know, great... Uh, ethnic comedians, people of different sexual orientations, just breaking down the barriers. It's just, the, just voices of every kind, yeah. mm-hmm. and there's and there's 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 brilliant comedians uh, all over the world, and uh, and and also very bad ones, mm-hmm. you know. But um, you know, usually things that are close to your heart. Like it's interesting how some some jokes will come out kind of perfect when you first think of them, like. Um, joke that I've done forever about um, my family are all hardcore Christians and they're all overweight and they're all trying to lose weight on these low carb diets where you don't eat bread that's funny Christians not eating bread and Jesus said take this bread and eat it it is my body and the disciples said Jesus we're all on low carb diets we appreciate you dying for our sins but we're all trying to slim down a little bit (laughs) We just want to look good in the painting. <laughs> you know that they were they were dieting because they want to look good in the Last Supper painting. I mean that kind of that joke kind of came out perfect. Yeah. You know, and then like when a joke comes out perfect, you're like, "Fuck! Did someone else already right, come up sure, with this?" Yeah. And I thought of this. And then you got other jokes that you really do have to bang it out on the anvil and you work on them. Some jokes you put down, you just stop doing. It. Okay, that never has gotten a laugh. 
and then you put it down, and then you go through an old notebook years later and go, I mean, that was a decent thought. And then you do it, and then somehow it's just magically funny again. Maybe it's your intonation or something you've added to it. Um, I've got a, a, a new thing that I've been working on, um, which it doesn't get a huge laugh, but I, because I, 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 you know me, I'm constantly reading, mm-hmm. and, uh, and my favorite kind of comedy is always kind of informative comedy, where you learn something from, right? you know, or, or just... You know, just ways of looking at things a little different or just what I like to call knowledge nuggets so and that's another I just started making these little videos of knowledge nuggets I think this will probably be one of the next ones but um, you ready? yeah okay maybe you can help me make this funny <laughs> uh, I've always been obsessed with Native Americans and without a doubt one of the fiercest tribes was the Apaches in Arizona at one time their leader was Geronimo And there were several times in Geronimo's life where he was surrounded by American cavalry soldiers on the rocky cliff mountains of Arizona. And to get away, he jumped off the cliffs and got away. And for that reason, military people all over the world, when they jump out of airplanes, they yell, Geronimo! Geronimo spent the last 20 years of his life on an Indian reservation in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. He died riding his horse home, drunk from a bar. He fell off of his horse, slept in a ditch, and died of pneumonia. So it's actually, when you fall down drunk is when you should yell Geronimo. (laughs) (laughs) Geronimo! (laughs) So that's like like, uh, one of my new jokes now. And uh, I mean, it's more like just a factual story. And uh, apparently... Military people don't yell Geronimo. Right, anymore. but that doesn't matter. Let's yeah. not let you know, facts. The, the truth can really fuck up. That's right. Let's never let that get in the way. That's great. I love it. All right. Well, Tom, this was golden, man. I really I, appreciate I, it. I love you like a brother, Kevin Rogers. Yeah, That's and uh, I'm, I'm very proud of you. And of all the people doing a podcast, uh, your brain should definitely feed out into the airwaves. Thanks, brother. Yeah. I love you, man. I love you too. Man. All right. Talk again soon. Respect. Once again, I want to thank my guest, Tom Rhodes. What a great comic. If you ever get the chance to see Tom live out there in a comedy club, do not miss it. You can also check him out at Tom Rhodes, that's R-H-O-D-E-S dot net, to follow his adventures around the world. Thanks again for listening. I always appreciate it. And you can see more and learn more at copychief.com forward slash T-A-M. We'll see you next time.